You're listening to a podcast from the Trinity Longroom Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. How are you? Uh, you're all very welcome to the end of what's been a long but very exciting first day of Trinity's Arts and Humanities Research Festival. Uh, and this is the best bit because we get to hear from three outstanding poets. My name is Eve Patton and I'm director of the Trinity Longroom Hub, which is our Arts Humanities Research Centre. Uh, and uh, you're all very welcome to what we conceived as uh, initially a reading that would combine the interests that all three of our poets have in the environment, in the traditions of nature writing, uh, in ecology and conservation and sustainability, and our relationship with the natural world. And though they write about many other things, I think that this is a common thread that runs through all of their work. Uh, and so we are uh, calling this session Writing Nature and Remembering Heaney, because we also were very aware that it is now 10 years since Seamus Heaney, who of course really led the field in terms of writing that responds to uh, the natural world. It's now 10 years since his death, and there have been many events, uh, many discussions over the past few weeks reflecting on Seamus Heaney's uh, writing and contribution. Um, and this evening, we have a very special, uh, and a very special element of our programme. Um, Nidhi Zak will be reading a poem specially written uh, for her Rooney Writer Fellowship, which I'll talk a bit more about in a minute, and written in a tribute to Seamus Heaney because it's based uh, on, or it's inspired by Heaney's own version of uh, a medieval French poem about the hare, the magical animal uh, of so many folkloric traditions. Um, and Needy uh, has very generously not only presented us with her own poem, Incantation for the Hare, but we have got it printed up in a beautiful pamphlet edition with an illustration by the uh, Anglo-Irish, I'll call her, because she was from Ireland originally, uh, eco-artist Sarah Gillespie, and it's uh, from a beautiful print that she's done in a series of works looking at um, endangered uh, and threatened animals uh, and insects of the natural world. So we're going to come to that a bit later on, but let me uh, now introduce our uh, poets. They're going to read uh, for about 10 minutes each, and then in the best traditions of uh, academic events, we will have time for questions or thoughts, responses, discussion, um, but uh, I think before that, do just sit back and enjoy listening to them. They're all just first class. Uh, we're going to be hearing first from my colleague, Yaren Herais-Columbier. And Yaren read for us, uh, about a year ago now, I think, Yaren, when you first read for us. Uh, she is an academic here in Trinity, um, but also uh, a very uh, wonderful poet whose first collection fossil rain, and Yaren will give you the titles in Spanish, alas, my Spanish is not up to it. Um, the collection Fossil Rain was uh, uh, given an award by the Trinity Foundation um, and uh, has been uh, a very successful publication. And Yaren has really led the field in the integration of her own work with responses to our environment. So she'll be reading first, and then we'll be hearing from my colleague, Sean Hewitt, 
Uh, and Sean, who has been recently elevated uh, to assistant professor, I think, in poetry in the School of English, so he's uh, going to be with us for some time, um, has left his day job this evening shouting at undergraduates to come and read from, uh, I think, his first collection, Tongues of Fire, which again won many awards, and, and Sean has had something of a stellar year because his memoir, All Down Darkness Wide, which I urge you all to read, has also garnered prizes and accolades. But it's really in his first collection, Tongues of Fire, that we can trace again the, the very moving, the very eloquent uh, response that, that Sean um, gives to his natural environment. Uh, and I know that uh, you will enjoy listening to him. And then last, but by no means least, we come to Needy Zach. And Needy, who's just flown in literally for this, uh, is this year's Rooney Writer Fellow in the Trinity Long Room Hub. And the Rooney Writer Fellowship is generously, and I'm going to say imaginatively, sponsored by uh, the Rooney Foundation. And I'm very delighted that Peter Rooney, who is a long-term friend of our community, uh, of writers in Trinity is with us this evening. So, good evening, Peter. Very good to see you back. Um, Needy's collection, Auguries of a Minor God, again, has been distinguished uh, for its, its eloquence, its bravery, uh, its, uh, I suppose, what's the right way to put this, its tremendous delicacy, and again, its delicacy in responding to a natural world which all of us are looking at in crisis. Uh, so she's going to be reading some of her poetry tonight and also read her incantation for the hair. And in the best traditions of the Late Late Show, there is one for everybody in the audience so you can follow the text when she gets to it. Uh, so uh, I want to thank you all for joining us. I want to thank my colleagues, our three award-winning poets, for agreeing to come and round off the first day of our Arts Humanities Festival. And I would invite you all now to turn off your phones, sit back, relax, and enjoy listening to the poems. Thank you very much, Eve, and thank you all for being here. Great pleasure to read these poems and after you tonight. So um, I've lived uh, an important part of my Irish years in Cork. I was transplanted there as a plant. <laughs> I was reported there uh, eight years ago. Uh, and I thought it would be a good idea to start with a cork poem. Mm -hmm. So, breakfast in cork or desayuno in cork. Mm -hmm. All the translations are by Kingston-based poet Matthew Gidden. Uh, he's been very generous. Uh, we work together on these translations and uh, it's an amazing experience. And I really encourage you to read his uh, most recent uh, publication, his most recent collection, uh, The Cloud Architect mm -hmm. by Matthew Gidden. So, um, Desayuno en Cork. La avena negada en agua sobre el fogón va formando un engrudo igualito al que me hacía mi mamá con la escasa harina de Castilla para restaurar los libros en La Habana de los 90. La papilla de avena, aquí le llaman porridge, tiene el color del cielo gris con pespuntes negros. Cada día el porridge me resbala por el interior hasta formarme un amasijo de lana cardada en el estómago que me mantiene caliente durante algunas horas. Hoy 
sin embargo, me unto la papilla de avena en el cuerpo, desojo y corto en pedacitos las revistas literarias en inglés que no me publican y salgo a la calle hecha un muñecón de papier maché. Breakfast in Cork. Oats soaked in water on the stove form a paste like the one my mother used to make from Castilian flour as she restored books in the 90s in Havana. The oats, they call it porridge here, are the color of sky, gray, with a black backstitch. Each day the porridge sleeps inside me, forms a tangled skin of wool in my belly that warms me for a few hours. Today, though, I smear the oats over my body, pull out and shred the literary journals in English that refuse to publish me, and step out onto the street, done up like a papier mache doll. And, uh, I saw in, 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 the, um, in the posters and in, in the information, actually, the set of question, questions, very interesting questions, uh, uh, arts and humanities questions. One of them uh, was, um, can poetry make things happen? No? And, and, and actually, I think it, it, it can. Um, after I wrote this poem, actually, the, some literary journals started publishing me. So, so it, it, there's a magic in there. But in a most serious note, and I will read the poem that actually they published after this. Um, uh, I think that poetry can make things happen because it is not only an output, sometimes it's a research methodology, and I don't know if my fellow poets would agree with that. It gives us access to uh, certain, certain type of knowledge. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, there's something there that is only accessible through poetry. Mm -hmm. And it's only enabled also through poetry, so I totally believe that poetry can make things happen mm -hmm. beyond this joke of being published or not. So, Moonrise. This is a poem I wrote in English. I rarely write in English, and of course I rarely published in English, but it happens. Moonrise. I followed him off the trail and up the hill his tall legs burying bolsters in the creeks, his antlers catching fruits and spider webs, shedding their velvet, spilling his secrets over the blue-white grasses and the gorse, filling the air with its coconut scent. The sugar moon rose after 6 p.m. and passed between Regulus and Algieva, big, like the orange he produced from nowhere, to stain my fingers with its oils and juices. Astronauts in orbit can see it too. The big moon is a mind trick, another illusion. Earth is glowing before the grand finale. I bleed. You're just too tired, he hissed. But I knew it was the end of the world. I took one of his shed antlers and chewed on it. And now we read uh, from this book, uh, Fossiles de Lluvia, Fossil Rain. Mm -hmm. um, 
a series of short poems, all translated in Matthew, Matthew Gittin. I'll read only a few of them. Um, the first one is titled Espejos, Mirrors. Una figura se hunde en el paisaje. El agua hasta la rodilla evanica la luz sobre el cuerpo desnudo que la oleada impulsa a una marcha indecisa. Los ojos clavados en el agua, la piel transparentada por la luz, el pez que mira desde el fondo. Mirrors. A figure sinks into the seascape. Knee-deep water reflects light all over the naked body. Ripples surge forward on an unknown path. Eyes fixed on the water, skin translucent in the light, the fish looks on from below. Malagüero, <coughs> alguien quiere saber la latitud y longitud de cada piedra. Aunque no pueda verlas, ni sentirlas en la punta de la lengua, ni impulsarlas a un vuelo sobre el agua, si oyera hablar de la humedad blanda de los guijarros en tus plantas, giraría el mapa para arrastrarlos a otra playa o hacerlos caer de golpe sobre el cielo. Bad omen. Someone longs to know the latitude and longitude of every stone without seeing them or tasting them on the tip of the tongue or launching them into flight across the water. If they heard about the softness of pebbles on the soles of your feet, they would turn the map around, drag them to another beach, or slam them down into the sky. Una casa. Con esta tierra en la que ahogo las manos, Podría construir una casa de losas frágiles. Durante el día la inundarían manantiales, mareas en las noches. Una casa para llevarla sobre el cuerpo y rehacerla cada tarde. Colocar la última losa en el suelo sobre el latido de las lombrices. House. With this earth in which I drown my hands, I could build a house on fragile tiles. Spring water would flood during the day, the waves wash in at night. A house to wear it on the body and reconstruct every afternoon. Lay the last slab on the ground, on the heartbeat of worms. Fósiles. ¿Quién podría adivinar que estas estrellas fueron lirios que el tiempo cortó? A diario alguien camina sobre flores detenidas y piensa que son granos de arena. Construye un techo con fósiles de lluvia sin ver los círculos que prueban que una piedra es la huella de algo más. Fossils. 
Who would guess that these stars were lilies cut short by time? Every day someone walks on frozen flowers, believing they are grains of sand, builds a roof with fossilized rain, not noticing the circles that prove a stone is the footprint of something else. And uh, to conclude this section, mm -hmm, I'll read a series of haikus and then uh, we'll uh, go to the final poem. Fuera, dentro. El tintineo va revelando el nombre del viejo sauce. Retando al viento, el chubasco silencia la danza de hojas. El manto de la superficie del lago desaparece. Un mango húmedo se desgaja callado sobre la tierra. En la ribera, el árbol desmayado alza los ojos. Outside, inside. The rain's tintinabulation reveals the name of the old willow. Confronts the wind, shower silences the dance of leaves. The clock upon the surface of the lake disappears. A wet mango falls silent to the ground. On the river bank, the weakened tree rises its eyes. Mm -hmm. And now I will, re I will read a poem mm -hmm, and its version in, in English, of course, uh, that is part of, of a new collection um, titled uh, De Corales, which would be made of corals, could also be on corals. Mm -hmm. And this will be the final poem. Mm -hmm. uh, let me get there. Espejo. Antes de caer y hacerse un ovillo, el arrecife tiene dos caras, como hoja de yagruma. Envoltorio y contenido, negativo y positivo de la imagen, Verde y gris. Una mirada toda pencas, cielo, alguna nube sobre una capa de plata. Una mirada toda agujeros, poros, canales sobre una plancha de vidrio. Huracán también mira de lejos con su único ojo. A veces suspira, se aleja. Huracán brama, irrumpe, baila en su templo con los brazos abiertos, es ritmo y cuchillas. Las esponjas de mar licuadas espesan la danza de aletas, pólipos, partículas. Se vuelven células buscándose a tientas en la ronda para recomponerse. Todos giran, laten, se montan, escupen, se tocan, transmiten, convulsionan. Hallaz de caja, bombo, tons, coliat, plato, crash, ride, hi, hat. Se parten las baquetas, se revientan las cuerdas del violín, se rompe el vidrio, hierve la plata sobre los corales. Arrancados de cuajo por el viento y las olas, los animales flotan a la deriva. 
Los animales flotan a la deriva arrancados de cuajo por el viento y las olas. Se rompe el vidrio, hierve la plata sobre los corales, se parten las baquetas, se revientan las cuerdas del violín. Hallas de caja, bombo, toms, coliat, plato, crash, ride, hi-hat. Todos giran, laten, se montan, escupen, se tocan, transmiten, convulsionan. Se vuelven células buscándose a tientas en la ronda para recomponerse. Las esponjas de mar licuadas espesan la danza de aletas, pólipos, partículas. Huracán brama, irrumpe, baila en su templo con los brazos abiertos, ese ritmo y cuchillas. Huracán también mira de lejos, con su único ojo. A veces suspira, se aleja. Una mirada toda agujeros, poros, canales sobre una capa de plata. Una mirada toda agujeros, pencas, cielo, alguna nube sobre una capa de plata. Envoltorio y contenido, negativo y positivo de la imagen, verde y gris. El arrecife tiene dos caras, como hoja de yagruma antes de caer y hacerse un ovillo. Mirror. Before falling and curling up, the reef is two-faced like a yagruma leaf. Wrapping and what's inside, negative and positive image green and gray. A look all leaves, sky, sun clouds and a layer of silver. A look all holes, pores, channels and glass plates. Hurricane watches from afar with its one eye, sometimes sighs, walks away. Hurricane roars, bursts, dances on his temple with open arms, rhythm, blades. Liquefies its sponges thick and the dance of fins, polyps particles. They become cells reaching to recompose each other in the round. All turn, beat, ride, speed, touch, transmit, convulse, to the jazz of snare, bass, drums, thumbs, goliath, cymbals, crash, ride, hi-hat. The drumsticks snap, violin strings break, glass shatters, silver boils over corn, uprooted by wind and waves, animals drift. Animals drift, Uprooted by wind and waves, glass shatters, silver boils over coral, the drumsticks snap, violin strings break, to the jazz of snare, bass, drum, tons, goliath, cymbals, crash, ride, hi-hat, all turn, beat, ride, speed, touch, transmit, convulse, they become cells reaching to recompose each other in the round. Liquefied sea sponges thicken the dance of fins, polyps, particles. Hurricane roars, bursts, dances in his temple with open arms, rhythm, blades. Hurricane watches from afar with its one eye, sometimes sighs, walks away. A look all holes, pores, channels on a glass plate. A look all leaves, sky, some cloud on a layer of silver. Wrapping and what's inside negative and positive image, green and gray. The reef is two-faced like a yagruma leaf before falling and curling up. Thank you very much. Hello everyone, uh, I'm just gonna Hello. Oh, can you hear me? Yes, good. 
Um, I just wanted to start off uh, by saying thank you and, and a huge congratulations to Eve and Katrina and everyone at the Hub for organising uh, this week. Um, I know from bitter experience that it is uh, not a job for the faint-hearted uh, to do a whole week of events, so uh, thank you and well done. Um, okay, uh, you'll also see um, that I have that my watch fell apart on Friday, um, so I'm going to attempt to sense ten minutes, and you can throw vegetables at me um, if I go over. Um, because I don't know the time, I also don't know the date, and I thought today that it was October, and decided to read a poem called October. Um, <laughs> but I'm just going to read it anyway, and you can mentally imagine that it is next week. Um, October. Once, I knelt staring in a garden in mid-autumn at the last of the marrow flowers. A pair pushed up out of nowhere overnight, too late for the season. One bent under dew, the frail skin of the other already turning slowly back to water. And yet the leaves bristled in the wind, the tired petals not quite ready to give up to the cold, though each was a distillation of the sun's late colour. And I saw myself kneeling in the garden from far away, caught between one man I no longer love, another I might never. This is how the world turns, love like a marrow flower closing, like another trying still to open. Are you depressed yet? <laughs> um, I, I thought, uh, you know, this book came out in 2020, um, and I had another coming out, which I'm mainly excited by because it means I don't have to carry on reading uh, <laughs> these poems, that I, which I have read uh, a lot. So I, I'm doing my best to read poems that I haven't read aloud before. Um, and this, I think, is one of them. Um, it's called Psalm. Now the earth is tilted on the edge of night, I walk out with my lantern like the messenger of God. The fog wraps the branches, ghost of field hangs over the field. A drowned man in pearls weeps under a bridge. To each I confess a secret. Same weather last year, a glitch in the workings, was the night you took yourself to the water and knelt in white breath. For the waters are come unto my soul. Since then, a lifted hinge in the mind, and life came loose. Now, from the fog, time's small currency, iron coins, iron water. From the fog, coated horses, 
marsh grass, wings, fence posts, the long-suffering bodies of trees. Um, when I was, God, how old was I? About 21, I, well, kind of my first official job um, out, out of university, uh, neither lucrative nor, nor particularly successful, was um, as a, an apprentice poet of residence uh, at a literature festival in Yorkshire. Um, and I think I was, I was there for like three weeks or something. Uh, and they said that they would pay me £500 to do this, which I thought was a, a huge amount of money. Um, and then I, I realised that it, I couldn't be in residence on £500 because you know, like the hotel <laughs> for, for a few nights would have cost me that. So I decided uh, that I would uh, camp. Um, and this is kind of November, uh, and it was on the egg edge of the Yorkshire Moors, um, and uh, I wrote a poem, um, I think kind of the only thing I wrote, uh, but it was about the moor um, uh, while I was kind of staying in that tent. It is imaginatively called moor. Moor is childless, sulks, speaks rain and sudden light, is a mind, is sleepless, lies deep in its bed, is always moving about at night, speaks fog with its moss mouth, is turned to sea by the wind, is waves in the dark, crashing, is suddenly still, is a trembling of light on the tent, is a shudder of guy ropes and a shadow passing, is kept awake by its conscience, is always waiting, sounds like breathing, sounds like it is carrying bodies at night when no one is watching, is a swallower of sound, wants every night to reach up and swallow the moon, swallow something, is a mouth, hides, and is never caught, sits in the dark quietly and smiles as the farmer walks out again with his torch beam, calling and calling a name. Um, I think I'll read you two, two more poems, um, but there's a catch, one's in three parts, so... Um, when you thought you were off the hook, uh, I'll pull you back in. Um, this is uh, a poem in three parts, but each is kind of a sonnet. Um, I don't think there's anything you need to know about it. It kind of tells its own story. Um, it is called Ghost. One. Waking, close to morning, but still a shuttered, metal dark in the room, a sound inside my dream, only a whimper at first, then becoming human, a howl raised in the street outside, left unanswered, then raised again. In my boxes, shivering by the single-paned window, 
but seeing no one among the black shapes of the parked cars or hedges, I went out half-dressed, hands shaking, front door unlocked, then pushed open, and by the column of the porch, under a cone of orange light, a young man slumped, drunk, sobbing like his whole life was unfurling into sound. Two. And now I am reminded of one afternoon, home from school, my father digging out the root of a conifer in the garden. I saw him look up, suddenly alert, leave by the back gate into the alley behind the terraces and return panicked with a boy in his arms. I recognized him about my age from school, hit by his dreadlocks, his turquoise streak of hair, but now lolling under his own weight, his wrists draining over my father's mudded jeans and the patio tiles. I knew even then the rumours about him, thought as we wrapped and pinned torn sheets around his opened veins, how we might share once the truth was out, a bond an elective blood. Three. Nights later, I only half slept, expecting at any moment to hear someone again outside, as though time might be caught in a loop. The same boy walking the mat route along the dark streets at the same hour to my door. Again, I unshuttered the window, stood waiting to see him come barefoot maybe down the path each night no sign until i thought perhaps it was only me or a dream of myself asking nightly to be greeted at the threshold allowed back into the cold room of my life but then in each of us a wound must be made or given there is always the soul waiting at the door of the body, asking to be let out. Um, I, I'm grateful to Eve for reminding me about Heaney, Heaney's ghosts in the room. Um, and uh, I thought I would finish by reading her poem uh, that whether well, I mean, whether accidentally or just coincidentally, uh, I, I was told it seems to echo uh, something of um, one of Heaney's poems. So um, I will leave you with, with Heaney's ghost uh, in, in this poem. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, this is called Evening Poem. What a world of apparitions, stifled warmth, of the greenhouse, the scent of tomatoes, my mother and I working closely to shimmy the pots loose, split sack of soil on the bench, glow of a tea light in the jar, and not a word between us. It is hard to tell where heaven starts and where it ends, 
Me, a foot taller, standing where her father stood. And outside, look, the dove, like a paper lantern, is bobbing in the apple blossom. Thank you very much. Seventy-seven different names and epithets for the hair. 
certainly rendered into English by multiple different poets. Um, over the years, Seamus Heaney was one of them, but Heaney's translation was distinctive in that it used words and phrases from a very English um, to sort of bring it closer to home. So in that vein, I wanted to do something similar, incorporating names and stories of the hair from other cultures and subcultures, uh, particularly ones like those in the East and within indigenous communities that are often subsumed within the more dominant and Anglophone tradition in poetry. So the Irish hair is actually considered to be the oldest surviving indigenous mammal on the island of Ireland. And as with many cultures around the world, it's often mythologically associated with fertility, femininity, mysticism, and madness. Um, in East Asia, the hair is seen as a companion to the moon goddess, pounds the elixir of life. In South Asia, the hair is considered to be one of the incarnations of the Buddha that sacrificed his life to appease a monk's hunger. In certain African traditions, the hair often appears as a trickster figure, and similarly as a thief of milk and butter in Scandinavian cultures. For the Algonquin and other Native American peoples, the great hair was the supreme deity or the creator of the world. In Celtic lore, it was believed that which women had the ability to shapeshift into the form of a hair. And these beliefs are still strong in certain parts of Ireland, in Count Kerry, for example, hair meat was shunned as it was said to be like eating your grandmother. <laughs> Though hairs cohabit the same spaces as humans, fields, moors, valleys and plains, they appear to have no real need of us and are unbound by our conventions and traditions. And perhaps because of this, they are thought to be messengers of the other world, the underworld. In fact, before cats, hares were actually ubiquitously mentioned as the animal familiars of witches. The witch again being a sort of border figure who sits on the inhabiting the space on the periphery between wildness and domesticity. So I would be remiss here not to pay tribute to um, another poem by James Dean called Badgers, which is actually the first poem by him that I ever read, and that still holds a place very close to my heart. And he spoke about how that poem was a bridge between the inner and the outer life. And because in his mind, Badgers seemed to stand for the night self, um, which is the shadow part in us, the sort of secret aspects of us. So I feel that field work, the collection in which that poem appears, especially embodies that sort of mysterious doubleness, that fluidity between the life of familiarity and domesticity and then the wildness and the wilderness that we encounter outside of us. And so my poem includes two cells, and one is an incantation, sort of ancient Irish incantation, which was considered a cure for ill health. And the other is a spell for transforming into a hair which was confessed by Isabel Gowrie, who's a Scottish woman who was um, executed for witchcraft in 1662. And the Irish Witchcraft and Sorcery Act actually similarly also existed and was only repealed in 1821. So, to all the ghosts in the room, <laughs> I would like to read first Heen's translation of the names of the head, and following that, I'll read my own. The names of the hair. The man the hair has met will never be the better of it, except he lay down on the land what he carries in his hand. Be it staff or be it bone, and bless him with his elbow 
and come out with this litany, with devotion and sincerity, to speak the praises of the head, then the man will get it fed. The hare called him Scottard, big fellow, Bowshard, the O'Head, the jumper, the rascal, the racer. Beat the pad, white face, fond the ditch, ship ass, the wimer, the messer, the skedaddler, the nibbler, the ill-met, the slaver, the quick scut, the dew flirt, the grass biter, the gobert, the home late, the do the dirt, the starer, the wood cat, the purblind, the furze cat, the skulker, the bleary eyed, the wall eyed, the glance eyed, and also the hedge springer. The stubble stag, the long lugs, the stoop deer, the frisky legs, the wild one, the skipper, the hug the ground, the lurker, the race the wind, the skyver, the shag the hare, the hedge squatter the dew hammer, the dew hopper, the sit tight, the grass bounder, the jig foot, the earth sitter, the light foot, the fern sitter, the kale stag, the hell cropper, the creep along, the sitter still, the pin tail, the ring the hill, the sudden start, the shake the heart, the belly white, the lambs in flight, the gob shite, the gum sucker, the scare the man, the faith breaker, the snuff the ground, the baldy skull, his chief name is Scoundrel. The stag sprouting a swayed home, the creature living in the corn, the creature bearing all men's scorn, the creature no one dares to name. When you have got all this said, then the hair strength has been laid. Then you might go faring forth, east and west, and south and north, wherever you incline to go, but only if you're skillful too. And now, Sir Hare, good day to you. God guide you to a how-do-do with you. Come to me dead in either onion broth or bread. Incantation for the hair. Hark first spirit of this land, these not made by human hand. Three kills, honey, milk, and salt, drunk in a seashell before dawn. Black naked, honey hued, bright of eye, snowshoed, blossom tied and fertile, super feet of moonshine, butter churner. Larking, twilight stirrer, mocking, shapeshifter, trickster, pounder of the elixir, cat legged, ear pricked, straight sitter, high kicked, with that incarnation, witch woman's creation, sleeper under soma, grinder of the brome, riddler rabbit with a horn. Leapers crouching in the corn, heather mountain dreamer, thief of milk and creamer, fire starter, forewarner, keeper of the four corners, desert runner, water nymph, 
existence in a hieroglyph. Ten as totems, tri-scale, three-pence minted nickel seal, five in front and four behind, procession of all this kind, folded in Ludica's dress, ally of the sorceress, creature of love that men get, the one who hate beneath her pen, donkey-eared and lion-eyed, horse-head with a lurch stride, fully-furred right at birth, running races in her mouth, sailor's curse, lover's gift, one who leads stray men adrift, silver-backed and fleet-foot, fugitive in wheat shoots, bounding with a swift swoot, hunted by the hounds too, wounded by the poet's bow, queen of other worlds below, seated on a silk throne, bleeding from the leg bone, sheltered in the witch elm, messenger from another realm, flame seduced and fellow-singed, teetering on the edge of things. And I shall go into a head with sorrow, sighs, and much care. And I shall go in Esther's name. I, till I come home, Thank you.